0: of my trip. I did not realize that I will be going to DC tomorrow, but I am going to DC tomorrow. Apparently I am part of the DC Comedy Festival and I wasn't even notified and told that I was scheduled in their lineup. So I will be in DC on September 13th at the DuPont Underground at 7 p.m. for the opening night showcase of the DC Comedy Festival. So if you're in town, please be sure to come out and support. It would be lovely to see your Faces. I'll make two more show announcements on Saturday, September 18th at 8 p.m. I'm gonna be in Garden Grove, California, at the Nuang Zone. Saturday, September 25th at 6 p.m. I'm gonna I'm gonna be part of the Kids in the Yard show. It's in North Hollywood, California. Look up Kids in the Yard on Instagram, and they will make sure that the address is available. So that show is gonna be a banger. Please be sure to. Come and join us if you're in LA. I'm having a very interesting week. Um, I've been obsessed with the US Open. I've been watching the quarterfinals and the semifinals. I just finished watching the finals today. I'm recording this on Saturday. And uh, it was pretty amazing watching these teenagers. I was watching Leila Fernandez, who just turned 19 on Monday, play against Emma Raducanu who is 18 years old, representing for Great Britain, and it was pretty amazing. Like, I, I have never cried this much while watching tennis. I've been watching tennis all my life since I was a kid. Uh, I played tennis since elementary school, I played all the way through high school, and I am a big fan of the US Open every year. Back when I was living in New York, I went to the US Open every single year. And this year, I really wanted to go to the U.S. Open, so I got quarterfinal tickets, and I went to see U.S. Open um, on Thursday or something last week, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, what was so moving about this, the the finals today, is that both Raducanu and Fernandez are like nobodies. Like nobody knew who they were. They're not top players. They're not world ranked. They literally, literally was like, you know, she entered the U.S. Open as a qualifier, which means she's really at the bottom of the, of the ladder, but she just fought her way up all the way to the finals and played against Leila Fernandez, who has been beating all of these top players from around the world. It it's been kind of mesmerizing and what was so moving about these games is that I was just so compelled by these women's, you know, conviction, their sense of self-confidence and self-worth and their belief in themselves. Like that really really moved me because when I was 18, 19 years old, I didn't have that. I really really did not have that. And I was just so inspired by these young women and their ability to just fight through all these obstacles and become like world renowned champions, you know, at the US Open Grand Slam. It was like kind of amazing. So that's been, uh, you know, emotionally moving for me. The other reason why I've been you know, emotional is because I'm still kind of mourning Foo. I mean, he was, he was a a friend and he was a fellow comic of the LA comedy community. And, you know, I, I didn't really shed tears so much, but yesterday during therapy, I actually did cry a bit. Turns out I, I was holding back some, some tears and, um, you know, I kind of let it go. So, um, Yeah, this trip has been kind of emotionally taxing for me. I don't think it's all negative. I I think there is some sense of uh, growth and some, I don't know, some expanding of my understanding of where I am in terms of my my growth and all that, but yeah, it, it hasn't been easy. The shows in North Carolina here in Greensboro have been very fun uh the audience here is really amazing so I've been having a really great time on stage so I'm very grateful to Greensboro North Carolina for for that and I I hope that I have just as much fun in DC when I go to DC tomorrow. The show that I'll be discussing today is called Record of Youth. It is a Netflix original Korean drama but it was uh distributed by TVN and it is a pretty, how do I say, it's a quiet drama, it's not very high stakes, it's not extreme by any means, but I have a, I have a special kind of appreciation for this particular show because of the queer text that it contains. So this show was written by Ha Myung-hee, who I believe is a relatively new Korean drama writer, and it was directed by An Ki ho It stars a fan favorite, Park bo as the male lead, and Park So-dam as the female lead. Everybody knows who Park So-dam is because the, she was the daughter in that movie, Parasite, which won the Oscars a couple of years ago. And this show is an interesting examination on modern careerists and modern love. So you have Park Dam, who plays... She plays this uh, makeup artist who used to be an office worker. Her name is An Chang Ha. And she quit her day job in the office in order to pursue her dreams as a makeup artist. And she happens to be a big fan of... Hejun, who is a model slash actor and that is of course played by Park Bo-Gum I thought it was a really interesting insight on the kind of Gusto and guts that it takes for a person to quit the secure day job that they have in order to pursue their dreams Like this is something that a lot of people struggle with in our capitalist society But it's something that Koreans definitely struggle with a lot because even though South Korea is a booming economy today They weren't necessarily the most stable economy even up until like 30 40 years ago so in that regard, this show is very special because it it kind of it kind of really examines the guts and the bravery that it takes for artists to pursue an independent freelance career as a makeup artist or as a model slash actor. It also takes a close look at the economic inequality and how that impacts. Uh, young people who are pursuing the arts. So, in Saejun's case, he comes from a working class background. And interestingly enough, his grandfather, his paternal grandfather, was also uh, in the arts. His paternal grandfather used to be a singer. And uh, Because he used to be a singer and led this unstable life trying to pursue his dreams, he really did kind of screw over his son and his family. Uh, Because, you know, the thing that most people don't understand is that in order to be an artist, you end up spending a lot of money, okay? Like, Even for me right now, like coming to these comedy festivals, like a lot of this stuff is out of my own pocket. The comedy festivals don't pay for our hotel and flight. Comedy festivals don't pay for our meals. All right. All of this stuff is on our dime. And the reason why we do it is because we want to be seen at these clubs in these local cities and we want to be seen by bookers. We want to be seen by audiences that are diverse and that are not just in our local regions. And, you know, pursuing anything that is related to the arts is a huge risk and it costs you very much financially so if you have a family right then you're really putting a lot on the line and so in that regard you have Saiyajun's grandfather who is very much uh hated by Saiyajun's father right so so this uh former singer's son is very resentful of his dad and for having pursued his dreams and because he has this bad experience with his own father when it comes to his own son saejun he is very very cynical and critical right doesn't believe in him keeps telling him to quit while he can and just go and serve in the military and get over it Uh, that's the other thing that's kind of a theme here These young men, Jun and Saejun's best friend, Wonhaeyo, they both have the military conscription duty that is sort of pressing down on their shoulders because they have to serve before they turn 30. And this is required by law. So they're kind of uh, being chased by time. And this is uh, a major factor in a lot of young men's careers. You know, you've seen K pop stars who've had huge careers and successes, and then, you know, when they have to go serve in the military, then they'll take two years off and then they're gone for a couple years, right? And then when they come back, sometimes they, they come back big, other times they come back and people forget them. So that is a bit of a risk, and that is something that. Uh, burdens a lot of these young men. So it was interesting to get insight in on that. What I also really appreciated was the mothers on this show. The mothers have so much love for their sons, both for uh, Heo and Hijun, right? I mean, the mothers are, of course, of very different economic backgrounds. Hijun's mother is working for Heo's mother as a house cleaner, and their their conversations tend to be very interesting, right? They have a little bit of beef, but they also have some respect for each other. And, you know, as I say, it does cost a person a lot for them to go and pursue their careers. It costs money to hire a hairstylist and a makeup artist. It costs money to get your photographs taken. It costs money to sit around and wait while you wait for the next audition or your next big break. So it's it's a very costly process, but in Heo's case, he has the financial security and the backing of his mother, who is also very wealthy and knows a lot of people and offers bribes to reporters to write about her son and give him greater publicity and all of that jazz, right? So you can see that the game is somewhat rigged. And the way that Hijun makes it is he sort of beats all those odds and then he comes out big in the end and turns out Heo, his mother, has been buying his social media followers, right? And this feels like a tremendous betrayal and a humiliation and embarrassment for Heo. When you watch these uh, variety shows where they talk about k-pop stars, right? Like, a lot of these young kids who get into the k-pop world and into the acting world they're they're putting a lot on the line they are not going to go to school okay so they're choosing not to pursue a, a career that requires studies and education degrees and then office work no they're putting everything on the line especially when they're come when they're coming from poorer backgrounds in order to make it right? Beat all the odds. And there are so many people who are trying to compete and make it in these entertainment industries. So, I mean, it really takes a lot. It really takes a lot of self-belief. It takes a lot of uh, risk. And, you know, in Hitchens case, he was also offered sponsorships, right? So this is where the, the queer text comes in. You have this fashion designer named Charlie Jung who has a huge crush on Hijun. And he tells him, Look, you need a financial sponsor. I am willing to sponsor you, but in exchange for physical intimacy. And Hijun is just like, No, like, you know, I. I respect you as a designer, but my body's my own and I don't want to go down that path, right? So you have this other social currency exchange that is on the table, like sometimes it requires people to go and sell their bodies, especially if they're financially underprivileged, right? And this is something that impacts them, not so much people who are financially well off. So there are these other factors that sort of uh, come into play. And you have to wonder if a show like Record of Youth is discussing these kinds of scenarios, how much more of that is actually true in the K-pop industry, in the modeling industry, in the acting industry, right? And how much of that affects not only men, but a lot and lot, a lot of young girls and women. And of course, there were huge reports about, you know, like suicides, high suicide rate among young K-pop star women and young uh, actresses in South Korea. So, you know, we do have to wonder, like, are these young women protected from these kinds of predators, right? Are these young women? men also protected from these kinds of predators, it's something to wonder. So those are some of the elements that I found intriguing about this show. What I would say about this show is that it it didn't really have very high stakes for me personally. Um, I thought it was still relatively, you know, about heteronormativity, right? Um, I thought it was interesting to give Hyejun's grandfather a storyline, um, giving this elderly man who worked in entertainment a second chance so that he can go and pursue modeling as a senior citizen. I thought that was kind of lovely to see. But ultimately, this was a very kind of low-stakes drama for me, and that's why I called it a quiet show. But I do think it has some important qualities for people to discuss especially as a queer text and um yeah ultimately i, I thought the performances was- were really great i thought Gum's performance was quite different from his other performances like in this one he's got a little bit more of a bite and i kind of appreciated Gum for that he's not like this quiet wimpy sort of pushover like he typically is in some of his other roles so i like that quite a bit Today I'm going to be talking to Ducky Larange, she is a clown and she's also a puppeteer. She is also a comedian. I love Ducky. Um, I met her in Berlin, I guess three years ago now, and uh, she was hosting at this bar one night with a a showcase and I was just bombing on stage, like I was eating shit all night, but like. I don't know. I, I was just glad to have her presence there. Uh, she was playing uh, Richard P. Van Dick, I th- Dick Johnson, or something like that. Um, anyway, she she was playing this uh, drag king character, and um, I I thought she was hilarious. And you know, she has such a great spirit. Like. She's one of these people that is similar to um, other people that I've interviewed like Van Jasmine. She reminds me of Lizzie Cooperman a little bit. Like she's one of these raw artists, uh, raw talent artists who just she seems to have like no sense of being held back by fear and self-doubt. and I really love and respect her for that reason. I really enjoyed the conversation that we had when we were talking about the Uncanny Valley. If you guys are not familiar with the Uncanny Valley, uh, it's based on what Freud discusses. Freud w- wrote this essay about the Uncanny The uncanny is a difficult sort of concept. I mean, if I remember correctly, it has something to do with what is familiar. And you've been looking at it all, like you're very familiar with it. You've been looking at it a lot, but then there's something about that thing that is slightly off. And that offness is what creates this uh, strange feeling, this feeling of alienation, this feeling of fear, uh, this feeling like that thing is the other and uh, the Uncanny Valley is applied in the arts very often. And uh, for those of you who study like AI technology, if you study androids and things of that nature, the Uncanny Valley is very much a component of that. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ducky. I think you're going to love her. So let's talk to Ducky LaRange. Um, yeah, I I've been noticing you've been, um traveling a lot doing lots of shows you had a residency in poland recently
1: yes i did Um, yeah it was a wonderful experience tell me
0: about it tell me
1: yeah well i applied for a lot of residencies throughout the lockdown because it gave me some sort of hope for the future sure and i would recommend this australia is back into lockdown now okay um it's a nice meditative stay-at-home thing to do write Mm. applications Mm -hmm. and it does help you sharpen up your analytic and your writing skills as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so i was accepted into a wonderful wonderful residency in poland Mm -hmm. called the palace residency and the name didn't disappoint it was in a 17th century polish palace wow which was in various stages of disrepair. So from complete ruins through to semi-ruins through to completely restored, beautiful sweeping stucco-clad rooftops with scene paintings of incredible detail down the walls and uh, really lavish interiors decked out with antique furniture. it was really a magical place with with grounds as well uh, full of you know gardens and a pond and
0: mm. a chapel
1: down in the garden and it was set up in such a way that 250 people were able to stay there wow and they had selected artists from different disciplines so it was a little um, anarchic in a way you didn't have to come with a set plan although you could Mm -hmm. And then they had set it up so that it was just a great space to facilitate being creative. So there was a theater space, a movement space, a recording studio, um, a live music space, a room full of sewing machines, um, Mm a room full of other equipment and and craft materials, a cinema. Wow. uh, A costume department. Wow. Uh, it was really fertile a fertile Mm -hmm, environment mm -hmm, I suppose mm -hmm. and just by way of a small example I met a girl at three o'clock in the morning we started talking she said she was a photographer that shoots on film she didn't have an idea of what to do I arranged to meet her the next day we went together to the costume department we chose an outfit and she styled me then we wandered around the castle and and found pictur- picturesque spots and she photographed me and I just got the the photos this week actually because she had them developed.
0: Yeah, so how do you like them?
1: I love them. They're, yeah. They turned out really beautifully. Oh, really, really beautifully. She's very talented. But that kind of thing basically happened every day. You just yeah meet people and talk to them and have ideas and then yeah. you have everything you need to. To just, just go your ideas straight away yeah yeah so it was very cool
0: oh my god that's yeah it's a wonderland that's like a dream come true for artists and it sounds like the perfect kind of space for somebody like you because you know you're somebody i consider up there with like a few other you know artist friends i know who are kind of like this raw talent you know very like you're very you know, I don't know, your artistic intuition is very much at the surface at all times, you know? You're always kind of in this mode, creative mode, and um, it's like very, there's a pureness to it, yeah? Very like childlike, very pure. And it's actually quite common among friends of mine who do the kind of work that you do, like clowning, for instance, Um, You also work with puppets a lot. I noticed that when you were at this palace residency, you were wearing this amazing, huge, like monster costume with like a purple tongue. Like, did you make that? I mean, where did that come from?
1: Yeah, again, it was completely spontaneous. So an artist who I think the name of that puppetry company is The Strange Fur, Hmm. and um, he's originally from the US, but... Is now based in Amsterdam, so he came there with the project to make a giant puppet. Mm. Uh, you know, his own self-styled project, mm-hmm. and because the palace is so vast, yeah, uh he had just claimed a an entire room to build that puppet in. And I believe they had he had requested that they order all the foam and maybe the fabrics in advance. Yeah. So his project was that he went there every day to this room and built up the puppet from scratch or he may have started mm-hmm. it before mm-hmm. but i yeah i just walked past and i noticed that he was building a giant puppet yeah and this is the specialization of mine i've done in australia many many giant puppet projects before yeah as a performer not as a builder
0: uh-huh. so
1: i of course uh, was interested and started speaking with him and yeah. he said he hadn't made one like that before and i offered that i could test it and see if i might notice um some things that could be optimized for example Mm -hmm. uh, which i did and then he invited me once he'd finished to perform in it and he had also made a a creature that was on stilts Uh uh, i saw that the white one yeah four-legged stilt creature Mm -hmm. that he had made at the same residency the year before Mm. so we then performed together me in the new monster called lulu Mm -hmm. and him in the old one and yeah again it was just completely spontaneous but very very nice experience and I've already been in touch with him uh that hopefully we'll be able to perform with them again at other festivals yeah his his work was amazing
0: so amazing yeah
1: yeah that's just the kind of thing that can happen
0: yes I I loved that that monster costume first of all I was like this is perfect for her like it's just like so it's so you this big shiny purple tongue and i saw like a lady putting her foot on the tongue (laughs) 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 i was like yes this is this is it um like i i don't know i want to ask two questions one is I'll, i'll start with the puppetry thing first like what is your like take on puppetry like what is your philosophy behind it like what do you think the purpose of puppets are like why do why do puppet masters use a puppet you know like why what is the point of that or for you what is the purpose of that like what are you able to communicate that you're not able to without a puppet that helps having a puppet yeah i'll start with that one
1: very good question um a lot of puppeteers have different theories about this but generally it's agreed that you would use a puppet in situations where you can't use a human actor. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the human face has a million different expressions and the body has also a thousand different expressions through body language.
0: Mm -hmm. I think
1: it's generally agreed that if you can use a human, you should because we're the most expressive things that you can see on stage. Mm-hmm. But a puppet can be useful for lots of different things. So, for example, if you want to make your show cheap
0: mm-hmm. and there's only
1: you only want to pay one performer, mm-hmm. then maybe you could have puppets as the other characters or mm-hmm. if there's some reason that a size difference is important. So, for example, there are some very famous well-known shows with giant elephants, giant horses, giant dinosaurs. Mm-hmm and uh, of course they're you know they're so fantastically well made they look real Mm. they're very impressive um you know you couldn't achieve this with a a human Mm -hmm. so often when you have animals monsters things like that they work really well um also if you're trying to juxtapose the puppet against a human for example Mm -hmm. if there are two characters Mm -hmm. that can be interesting um I saw an interpretation of a Black Mirror episode once where a it was a, a story of a woman and a robot, mm-hmm. but they had the human playing the robot and the puppet playing the, the human. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it really highlighted how unemotional the woman was. And mm-hmm. it was a, a kind of an interest, like it just tricks your ba- brain a little bit. Mm-hmm into doing some gymnastics Mm -hmm. and uh, we call this in puppetry the uncanny valley Mm. so it's it's like a curve that's the valley of uncanniness so you have um an unrealistic doll like Mm -hmm. a barbie doll it's not that scary Mm -hmm. then you have a really realistic doll and those baby ones a little bit Once I close their
0: eyes, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, it looks like a bit too much like Mm -hmm. a real person, so Mm -hmm. people don't feel that comfortable with those. Mm -hmm. And then the most uncanny part of the uncanny valley is when you have something that's realistic, Mm. but then it it also moves and it Mm. appears lifelike. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, it really does make people feel something when they know it's not real, Mm. but the puppeteer has done a good enough job to make them feel like it could be real Mm -hmm. uh it it solicits an emotional response that's quite interesting so and it's
0: typically fear or disturbance or a very unfamiliar feeling maybe and that's why they attribute it to fear or disturbance because yeah i mean the uncanny valley is used in like so many other you know kinds of I mean, it's a it's a good theory for many different things. They talk about it in like critical studies in theater too, with like androids, for instance, and how increasingly there are android models like on Instagram with millions of followers, and they're not real. You know, they're like, oh, this is like a Brazilian um, non-binary pansexual model, and they are you know, endorsing Fendi and Prada and Gucci bags. And of course the creator is a white cis man, right? Like, um, you know, is, but it's like, okay, like this model has followers, but then maybe it's because this model seems so, so human, like so lifelike, and there's a whole narrative and a whole story behind them that it's like, okay, like they feel real. Whereas if you go a few steps back, like, you know, let's say if we looked at this model as not in this, this quote unquote, um, uh, ideal state, idealized state, but like a few steps behind that, you know, maybe like their their eyes are a little more beady or, you know, they are, you know, there's something that's off that you could tell they're not human. And then that suddenly gen- like creates this disturbing feeling, this disturbing effect or unfamiliar effect. Yeah. And
1: the eyes, uh, it's good that you mentioned because these are very important i think it's the main focal point for the human hind brain or whatever um if you put eyes on anything it's already takes on human-ish characteristics yeah like if you put eyes on a cup i don't Mm -hmm. have an example Mm -hmm. but then you know you might see the handle as an ear all of a sudden but you didn't see that before you put the eyes on right they're, they're really like the key um, but yeah, as you say, if, the, if the eyes are unhuman in some way, then that also creates a disturbing f- like if they don't blink, for example, that's from right. Natural right. That you make one blink because it's a complicated mechanism.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a complicated mechanism. It's like, you know, we blink for so many reasons for biological reasons, but also for emotional reasons, for mental reasons. Um, yeah when you were talking about how puppets are used to um it's like used in place for to do things that humans human actors cannot do like can you give me like one example from your past like that you remember like what like in what way was this puppet okay for instance i saw you once use like a it was like a gynecological clamp right um for like you were using it as like a like a beak like when you were using that object for instance that puppet what were you able to communicate through that that was not necessarily like you know that a human person wouldn't have been useful for for instance
1: yeah so for example in that piece i do a number of different characters um which is easier for me to transfer from character to character when it's with a puppet. Mm. Um, I also have the voice of the narrator, which I do. So I find it practical from that perspective, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, also because it's this gynecological speculum, um, of course it doesn't look anything like a a human. And that's a great example where I just put eyes on it. Mm -hmm. Then you see this bit as the nose and Mm -hmm. this bit as the mouth Mm -hmm. and that's it basically but it works nobody has any problems with imagining it to be alive or to Mm, be real right um but it's it's got a completely different look and feel to a human that's cartoonish Mm -hmm. and the whole piece has a cartoonish noir vibe to it Mm. that fits very well and then spoiler alert at the end um you know he gets sucked into a vagina which you wouldn't be able to achieve very well with a human. Maybe right. if you built a giant vagina and then you got sucked into it, but again, it's not that practical. Right. Sometimes things like you can communicate your message, especially when it's with scale. Sure. Much more easily with puppetry.
0: Oh, scale. Yeah, scale changes everything, huh? Um, are you a fan of Charlie Kaufman at all?
1: Um. People always ask me this. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and I I have to admit, like I'm I'm not that familiar with his work, so mm-hmm. probably I'm influenced indirectly in some way. And I should, when I have time, go and look through the back catalogue. Um, I think just one yeah, film, I, yeah, just yeah, the being John just Malkovich.
0: One. Being john malkovich yeah. i
1: have seen actually being john malkovich. Oh, okay yeah yeah it's
0: the only one that's like really puppet themed but i think kaufman is obsessed with puppets i'm reading his novel right now and it is like he has puppets in there too i think in his mind he thinks that being a screenwriter is like being a, a puppeteer a puppet master you know yeah, so exactly. he builds exactly. a, he builds like even in his novel he builds a world where there are puppets you know and he mm-hmm. counts how many puppets there are like what the gender of these puppets are what the ethnicity of these puppets are what the age of these puppets are and then like keeps a count of them it, it's it's very weird and interesting but yeah I I, I think um You'd be into Kaufman, or maybe not. I mean, you know, like, like I said, you're kind of your own pure raw thing. I mean, and he is his own pure raw thing. Um, but yeah,
1: it's always good to see more references. He's mm-hmm. definitely on my my list to go yeah. and binge um, when I have a, a chance. It's definitely. But there's a list. also like just the kind of a person that's really into puppets hmm. uh, that you encounter, yeah, from time to time if you're a puppeteer,
0: yeah. When you um do your Richard P is it Richard P Van Dyke Dick Van yeah, Dyke yeah
1: Rich, Richard P Dick Van Johnson <laughs> Johnson that's right I like your interpretation
0: <laughs> Yeah Richard P yeah Johnson I okay so the first time I think the first time I met you ever you were in this um Dick Johnson drag king kind of outfit and persona and um yeah like when you're doing when you're doing drag or I mean would you call that drag or would you call them more clowning
1: um I mean or, it's both but I call mesh it drag both. because yeah. drag is something that people understand
0: right and right and there are very few drag kings so it's like okay like there's more appreciation for it I think um you
1: say you're a clown yeah, mm-hmm. people <laughs> they they freak out yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. they have to deal with some yeah uncanniness
0: like <laughs> it's it's interesting huh like all these things like puppets um yeah puppets and and, and clowning it's like it, it i don't know people have these fearful associations with them you know like carnies it's like they're all kind of around this stigmatized kind of crowds yeah
1: yeah, I mean, maybe for good reason, but when people come to my shows, they usually enjoy it and I usually get positive feedback, but it's certainly not good for marketing to mm. put on your on your flyer. Clown show <laughs> with puppets. I, I, it's much better to say drag show with comedy. Um, right, right. It's more friendly.
0: Yeah, and then it sneaks up on you. Yeah, well, which is
1: strange because
0: I saw you do a, a show – I think it was in copenhagen right you did a a kids show
1: yes yeah yeah i mean that's normally i do not normally i do kids shows sometimes but Mm -hmm. kids are definitely more amenable to puppets and clowns they they haven't learned to hate them yet Uh, it's more the adults i'll worry about but somehow through a weird twist yeah uh, i got invited to perform as richard p dick van johnson just on the side during that copenhagen trip at the royal at the royal danish playhouse yeah. which is like the, the opera house of denmark that's amazing <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah very funny. um
0: no i love this character first of all because of the name and um yeah like when you're when you're in that character mode when you're performing drag like is is there some element that it like like a through line with doing puppets doing like performing clowning and performing drag, like, is there a through line? Are you kind of still doing similar things or the same thing or like, what are the differentiations? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing exactly the same thing. So Mm. Richard could have been a puppet maybe, Mm. but then yeah, then I would be limited to maybe just being able to move one arm or yeah, just being able to move my mouth and not my eyes for what I wanted to do with the Richard character. Mm-hmm. I felt like, yeah, I need all my body parts and need to be really flexible and very real. Yeah, but it's more uh, it's more or less the same thing, like my same stupid sense of humor and uh-huh. a, a healthy touch of absurdism. and I, I would see it as very much the same thing, but just with diff- slightly different mediums. Yeah. And yeah. again, I talked about like the practicalities of puppetry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, clowning, comedy. All of these art forms are just mediums, mm-hmm. and you you choose the one that you're good at that fits what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I see them more or less as the same thing. Yeah. Yes.
0: No, I, I like that answer because you know I think anybody who per- pursues like a creative mode, they're oftentimes pursuing multiple other modes at the same time, like in sync, and they all feed upon one another. Like, for instance, even your your Richard um, P. Johnson character is like, you know, you also use this, you know, gynecological clamp thing. It's like, you have this gender, kind of um, discussion or discourse in the backdrop there, like it's inserted in there, this feminist, potentially feminist ideologies inserted in there. And, um, yeah, like, I I think whatever message that we have, however nebulous it is, is still some kind of a message, is some kind of expression, some kind of ideology that we are communicating outwardly. And as creative individuals, we pursue multiple things at once, because it's like, it takes more than one mode of expression to communicate what whatever idea we have fully, right? And it comes out in different times you know different times because we're one body (laughs) we can only do so many things at one time um and in different like you said different like a different medium each time but like the one consistency is that that message is kind of the same that one um expressor, that one voice is consistently the same do you feel that way yeah
1: Absolutely. And it can also be unconscious or maybe subconscious is a better way of putting it. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I mean, performance is an extension of yourself almost always to some extent. So it might be things I'm thinking about or my values or my background that's coming out in my work that I'm not necessarily deliberately putting, putting out there. Mm -hmm. Um, for example also this dog act that i do Mm -hmm. um with a a dog drawn on on the back of me and that Mm -hmm. i can't find it because it's behind Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. for me the essence of the idea was just this stupid idea of like when you're looking for your glasses but the glasses are on your head so you're looking for the glasses you can't find them Mm -hmm. um Mm. but then people still read this piece as feminist um, which was not necessarily my intention, but mm-hmm. when I ask people to explain that it does make sense. And I can see that, you know, these, these themes do return if they're bubbling away in your subconscious. Right. right.
0: And cause you're a female body, you know? Yeah.
1: You... Exactly. So to some extent, uh, yeah. If yeah. I'm showing my, my body in a non-sexual, yeah. what I would consider a non-sexual mm-hmm. way, Mm-hmm um there's just a context that makes that mean something Mm -hmm. and that might end up being feminist so
0: yeah yeah no that's interesting yeah i think that's why i was kind of like yeah like a potentially feminist message because even with richard p johnson it's like okay like you're you're more poking fun at like not even poking fun excuse me you're kind of exploring masculinity in like a ridiculous way you know um to say that you know i mean this is something like maybe judith butler talks about it's like any gender is a construct and ultimately a performance you know based on certain social um constructs social conventions and whatnot right doesn't have to necessarily be feminist per se, it may be feminist adjacent, or it's again, part. feminism is part of the gender discourse, you know, overall, yeah.
1: And um, yeah, sometimes, not always, but sometimes because I do this Richard character so much and I improvise a little and I write a little, sometimes I'm just enjoying being a man. Mm-hmm. and doing man stuff I'm, I'm actually just doing what feels natural when i'm mm-hmm. in this character and just enjoying having that experience mm-hmm. but it will still be read as a bit feminist or a bit mm-hmm. of a critique mm-hmm. because of the context that they they see that i'm doing it as a character mm. but i'm really enjoying it sometimes <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> and then i'm know? like oh that's why they do that Yeah, it's quite fun to, or you feel quite powerful when you do that, or it's it gives me a little insight, honestly.
0: Yes, yes, you feel you're feeling it, you know, you're you find pleasure in it. It's like then why else would we do it, right? If we are not finding pleasure in the thing that we're conducting, you know, then it's just an abusive relationship with our act, with our artwork, Mm -hmm. and it just makes no sense. Yeah, and yeah, like when we watch drag shows. Like they're having a ball up there. Everybody's having a ball, right? <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be and fun.
1: To even also have, have some empathy, perhaps yeah. for why things that, you know, might be slightly misogynistic happen, um, right. because you just did it yourself intuitively. Right. Um, that, that's quite interesting. Uh, for example, I had a small consent issue Mm. where I was in this Richard character demonstrating how strong I was. Mm. And then I chose the biggest guy from the audience. Mm-hmm. He told me he weighed 120 kilograms. Wow. And I got him to come onto the stage. And yeah. then I picked him up wow. and carried him around. Oh, my gosh. And he was surprised, obviously. <laughs> and then afterwards, someone said, oh, he looked really surprised. Did you, uh, you know, Did you ask him for permission to pick him up? And I was like, well, no, but I didn't, when I'm in that character, I didn't feel like I had to.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Not not ideal, but um, it gave me an insight into having, yeah, a different uh, upbringing that might lead you to see things as not a problem. uh uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Time. I mean, I think maybe everybody learned something in that moment, right? Yeah. It's, it's not just Richard. It's not just you. It's ev- literally everybody learn something in that moment because men don't ask come on that's the bottom line again i feel like maybe that audience member asked you that because you are a woman doing this you know
1: i mean that it wasn't it wasn't the guy i picked up that complained about it It
0: right it was a another person yeah yeah how interesting and i i just feel like that kind of goes back to this conversation again about you know, the artist's voice and the artist's message, a lot of the times, most of the time, artists don't want to pick a political side, you know? Like that's not necessarily their interest. Like the artist just wants to express, create and play, right? And the political stuff comes from the reception, like this audience member, for instance, you know? And then it gets molded into something via reviews, via audience reaction, via Twitter, via whatever. And then it just becomes it gets sucked into this political discourse when the artists themselves are not necessarily trying to politicize at all. They're literally just trying to play, right? And yes. in that world, that nebulous world wherein the potential of these ideologies are there where the artist is not necessarily you know, attached to any single one, right? That exploration is where the weird stuff happens and the stuff that the political discourse is incapable of, right? Having that dialogue, they're incapable of having that, the artist is able to have that dialogue, right?
1: Yeah, and I'm okay with this as well because I don't think the artist gets to be the boss of their work especially if you're a performing artist it's a two-way street so Mm. you do half the work and then the audience does the other half Mm. so i can't tell them that they're wrong because i didn't plan on that right um yeah their interpretations are valid Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes uh yeah people get criticized that their work is transphobic or Mm -hmm. racist or whatever Mm -hmm. and then they say oh well i didn't intend that Mm. May well be true, uh, right. but w- there's a lot of subconscious stuff going on that we also are not aware of. Yes, and if most people are interpreting it that way, mm. yet you- their interpretation is valid, so mm. they're doing fifty percent of the act of creation. Yeah, and receiving it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, but you know, that's okay. We yeah. have to be aware of both sides.
0: Mm-hmm. I like this idea of the audience being a co-creator with a performer in a performance art space. I mean, that's like a really novel idea, actually, for me. That's amazing. Well, yeah. this is
1: I, it was something I noticed a lot from comedy, actually, mm-hmm. because maybe it's different if you're a painter. You can just paint and then your painting is done and you you don't have to show anyone if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I noticed from being a member of the comedy scene in Berlin, mm-hmm. people are really, the performers, I mean, are really paying attention to the audience response. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, that joke that I did yesterday didn't land today, nobody mm. laughed, or mm-hmm. this one got a bigger laugh than than it did last week. And actually, that, so comedians are hyper aware of mm-hmm. how the audience is receiving it, down to the nuances, to the pauses, to how strongly I delivered this joke to whether I put it in the beginning or the end. Um, they're very in tune. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because maybe traditional theater performers, for example, don't have as much flexibility in their performance as Mm -hmm. a comedian. Mm -hmm. And so they can't afford to worry about, you know, if the joke was at the beginning or the end, because they've got a set script or whatever. Right. Um, I think that that was a nice learning for me actually.
0: Yeah. The stand-ups are control freaks, you know, like <laughs> fucking control freaks. And it is, I would say, the scariest thing to do is stand-up comedy. You know, I have a lot of friends who do stand-up, but they started out with improv and sketch, which has a team. And so they always say this. They're like, whenever I do stand-up, I'm so afraid. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You've been doing improv for 15 years, you know? And they're like... Yeah, but I have a team, I have a fallback, I have support, you know, like stand up, I'm all by myself. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I, I don't have any experience with improv or sketch, so I don't have that understanding of the team and the fallback and the safety net. I don't have any of that shit. It was just stand up, right? So for me, it's like that, that fear, quote unquote, or that adrenaline is the baseline, that's the default you know so like i don't have any other place in my memory to fall back and be like oh it was nice back then that's just how it is and it's just interesting to me how these improv comics who've been doing it for an eternity who are really good at it some who've been doing it for like two three decades have taught huge stars in hollywood and shit they still say stand up makes me feel like day one of performing because it's so scary and i was like oh that's so Fucking interesting, like considering all the achievements and experiences.
1: Mm. Mm. The other reason, maybe, why stand up is so scary is because the audience is there, everybody's there with the expectation that they should laugh. So, yeah. first of all, that's incredibly subjective and really difficult to achieve. Yeah, it's a lot of experience um, yeah. and intuition. Yeah, secondly they're really there with the expectation that they should laugh. There's Mm -hmm. nothing else. Mm -hmm. At least when you go to an improv show, you think, oh, that was so clever Mm. or we're having fun or that was kind of interesting or Mm -hmm. me as an audience member, I got to, you know, choose the setting or the theme or something. Yeah. In the comedy show, everybody's sitting in their chairs. (laughs) They're looking at you and you need to say something that makes them laugh. Yeah. And that's it. You know, you don't think, oh, this burlesque routine was kind of boring, but they had a beautiful costume and the song was great. Or that clown act, I don't know, maybe I didn't understand it, but it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Like the stand ups got nothing else. (laughs) Nothing else. Nothing (laughs) but them. This this tough, Mm -hmm. tough goal. Mm -hmm. And that's the only goal.
0: Yeah. When I listen to uh, comedy albums, like, especially with, you know, contemporary comics that I admire and I look up to and I'm listening to it, I could hear like the the fluctuation, the decibel of the laughter, you know? And sometimes like I'll hear very low, like small laughter, like a little trickle, not big. And then I could kind of hear the comic you know, feeling that out too. Sometimes the comic is completely shocked because usually by that point, by the time they have an album out, they've done those jokes hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. They've done it for like minimum, excuse me, minimum five years. They've done it. It's Meaning they've done it hundreds of times, hundreds of audiences, thousands, if not thousands, right? So they know that it always works. Those are the ones that end up in the album. And when it doesn't get a laugh on the day of their album recording, like you could kind of feel the comic. I I probably feel it more because I am a comic as well. But like, yeah, and and for that reason, what you say is true. Like it is terrifying because comedy is very, very, very subjective. Not only a person's taste and their background, but it's like literally that day, that Mm -hmm. room, that moment, right? Right. All of it is different. The temperature of the room, rainy day in Berlin, fucking forget it. You're going to bomb that day. You're going to have a shitty set. They're not going to laugh. They're so miserable. You know, you, you have the best jokes that worked everywhere. It's not going to work that day in, in a room in Berlin. I know this, right?
1: Absolutely. And so There's, it's... this Friday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's How like it, it, all of it is it's just so like it's so fragile you know but and yet so beautiful when it works right when it works in spite of all those things and it fucking works that's when it's like oh my God, it's like stand up so beautiful yeah
1: yeah and beautiful and magical mm-hmm. and that's why people like it but it's it's difficult it's mm-hmm. incredibly difficult so yeah yeah i think audiences also are scared a bit oh yeah you know? it's Again, if you see a, a boring uh, burlesque routine or something, you know, it, it's fine. Like, it doesn't hurt you. Right. But when an audience member goes to see a comedian that's bombing, like, yeah. it hurts them too. <laughs> yeah, they, everybody's you, injured. You know, you can feel how uncomfortable the audience are. They want to yeah. laugh, but they yeah. can't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And And they don't know what to do,
1: <laughs> they don't know what to do about it. <laughs> they're just sitting there hoping that it'll end how
0: can it how can i help and they can't talk if they do they're going to get yelled at you know it's like it's such an impossible situation everybody becomes a child in that moment everybody becomes a a helpless child in that moment you know yeah. but again the only person who ha- who's able to steer that ship out of the 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 turf that they landed on is the comic they have to release that tension they must
1: and when it and when it works it's magic it's magic. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah.
0: It is fucking beautiful. <laughs> well, let me ask you one last thing about performance then. Like, have you ever acted on screen um or or just done like I don't know something more conventional like Shakespeare or some kind of play on like theater, theater-wise? And was that in any way like drastically different for you compared to having these other objects where you could express yourself?
1: Yeah, Um, I don't do much conventional stuff, but I have had things in the past that I've had to do Mm. or, you know, wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But the most recent example actually was this uh, children's theatre performance in Copenhagen last week because it's fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, I was very freaked out. It was basically – a Concept that they do there quite often called De Kalte or something. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce the <laughs> Danish word. Yeah. But it means the cold table, which mm. is in in Denmark, they love eating buffets for yeah. some reason. It's not mm. very Corona friendly, but it's <laughs> still a lot of buffets. Uh-huh. And that's what the program is called. They'd make speed plays. So we got randomly uh, matched up with a director, a writer, and three performers and a location yeah and the writer had two days to write the play we had two days to uh, be directed and create the play and then we performed for two days Mm. uh, which i thought would be a piece of cake because Mm -hmm. i'm fairly comfortable with children's theater Mm -hmm. but then in the end the script that we got delivered to cut a long story short was about 14 pages of text, Wow, heavy, heavy, heavy text-based mm-hmm. play. And because I was a pu- the puppeteer, I played four different characters mm. and I was on stage almost the entire time, Wow, which I'm not very, very experienced with learning a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. And when we came into the rehearsal room, the director said, okay, I've thought about how I'm going to structure today. I think we'll split the play up into three parts and work Mm -hmm. on each part one at a time Mm -hmm. and first up i'm just going to give you one hour to memorize the first third and then we'll spend an hour working on it wow how's everyone feeling about that and i i said i have no Mm. experience doing this right and he was fantastic uh he's a yale trained uh performer from Mm. the states but it runs an acting studio in Serbia mm. and he said well I will teach you some memorization techniques mm-hmm. and he taught me some very specific techniques and somehow I managed to memorize the entire thing in a day as planned beautiful So, yeah that was a, actually a super good and interesting experience for me mostly working with devised theater it was nice to have mm-hmm. a script relaxing almost Mm. like despite my original freak out it's it's nice to know that you have a team actually like you said Mm -hmm. so you don't have to come up with brilliant things to say there is a team member who specializes in that Mm -hmm. you also don't have to you know come up with every movement and motivation and relationship yourself because Mm -hmm. there's a director and that team member is specializing in that and Mm. that was really useful for him to say Oh, when you came in the door, where did you come from? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I came from the street. Maybe I live a 20 minute walk away. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, maybe come in with sunglasses on and take them off and take off your shoes or whatever you would do when you come into the room. Mm-hmm. Obvious stuff, but mm-hmm. it's nice that to have an extra person there who's just focusing on that when you've got so many other things to do. So that maybe is obvious, but that was a, a different kind of experience for me. That was more traditional and actually yeah. really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I love that. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Thanks. Okay. We're going to wrap with some flashcard questions. You ready?
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not German vocabulary.
0: Nine. Okay. So let's say uh, the, the show I'm going to, Based these slash card questions on is called record of youth it's on netflix at the moment i think it came out last year um stars pak bogam and pak Dam, Park everybody knows she was in parasite she played the the daughter who mm-hmm. does that little song at the at the doorbell yeah okay so Let's say you're a 25-year-old male model and actor named Hijun. okay? You've been in this industry for years, something like seven, eight years, but your career has not taken off to the point of financial success. Meanwhile, your managing agent is holding, withholding checks from you and not paying what you're owed, and he's criticizing you, telling you that you suck. That's why the managing agency is going down to shit. What do you do?
1: Um. desperately try and land the next big thing through a sexual encounter with the casting director
0: <laughs> we'll do anything for survival yes okay good very good I like that answer all right <laughs> okay good let's say you're a 25 year old makeup artist you're an assistant working at this high-end salon right uh you used to be a white collar nine to five office worker but you left that job to pursue your dream career as a makeup artist okay so like after work you do your own like youtube thing with like on the street with strangers and you film it and then you upload it and you're trying to build a following blah 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 and you're a huge fan your name is uh Ah, and you're a huge fan of this hijin guy, this model that I just talked about, okay? And um, one day you're at your job, you're working, and he sits down in your chair and asks you to do his makeup. But you're just an assistant and you're not supposed to be doing any client's makeup because your supervisor, the head makeup artist, will take huge offense and make a big stink about it, right? But he insists that you do his makeup. So you start and then your boss shows up and she reprimands you in front of of this model slash actor that you've been a fan of for years what do you do
1: um while he's turned around uh take like a little bit of his hair Mm -hmm. and put it in my pocket (laughs) and then try and save face in the situation but i'll have the hair later to make a spell
0: okay yes very good yeah of course yeah okay great great yeah (laughs) Okay, so you're Hyejun again, the model. There's a famous older gay fashion designer in the scene who has a huge crush on you. And he he propositioned you to, you know, he he said, I'll be your sponsor in exchange for you to sleep with me. And you turned him down, right? You turned him down years ago. He does it again. And you say no. And he tells you that the reason why your career sucks is because you're not willing to play the game. What do you do?
1: Oh, lucky I already decided to <laughs> sleep with the casting director earlier on. <laughs> um, maybe this is a conversation that leads me to do that. Um, I guess I, I would, yeah, probably stick with turning him down, but maybe something shifted in my mind and I realized mm. that he was right and I take that attitude to the, the next encounter or the, the next career related decision i have to make
0: mm. okay so you would you would go with this this offer then once you change your mind
1: yeah i mean if i if yeah my background is that i've been trying for seven or eight years with no success through everything uh-huh. that i've already tried i i guess i would feel like i had to try something else
0: mm. good that's a good point honestly yeah okay let's say you're a model slash actor you're a different one okay your name is one hey all right. You have a lot of Instagram followers like like hundreds of thousands and you have a few commercial gigs under your belt already. You know, your face is recognizable. It's been all over the the posters and the the screens and all that shit. Your best friend is Hyunjin, the the previous model we've been talking about. And Hyunjin's mother works at your house as a housekeeper. Okay? So that's the class difference. You're from a rich family, Higgin's from a poor family, okay? One day you realize that the reason why you're so successful in your acting career and your modeling career is because your very rich mother has been bribing industry professionals to give you acting gigs by giving them gifts, like, like her bags and, you know, like tickets and all this shit. And she's been buying you fake followers on social media. What do you do?
1: Ah, ask mom to throw my mate a bone, buy a few things for him, too.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So this wouldn't bother you at all, that your mother has been doing this?
1: You gotta play the game, like the the costume guy said.
0: The answers are so easy, you know? I don't know why these actors and these characters went through all this hell and turmoil in the show. Like, why was there so much resistance? It's like, yeah, yeah, you do this, you do this for me, do it for my buddy too. Yeah. Okay, great. Awesome. Yeah. The, the people who have must give to the have nots. Yes. All right.
1: I think that's so, nice.
0: Yeah. It's a nice thing to do. Buy him some fake followers. He only has like 20,000, you know? Yeah.
1: Bribe the next casting directive Yeah. For him.
0: Give him a product bag so that he would cast him. Yeah. And then we could be on set together. It'd be awesome. Okay, great.
1: Yeah. That's my buddy. <laughs>
0: okay all right so you're a hedgeron again and your father and older brother keep telling you how you're wasting your time with impractical dreams your father is especially mad at you because his father used to be a singer who never made it but instead dragged his son and his wife the whole family into a lifetime of debt with his poor choices what do you do?
1: (sighs) it's too real (laughs) um (laughs) yeah it is yeah I think oh look all these things are conspiring together to to make this uh my poor character here more cutthroat yeah I'm gonna prove you wrong dad I'm gonna do what it takes you'll see maybe a deadline Hmm. by this time next year things will be different
0: Okay, yeah, because you would have blown several casting directors at that point and gotten yeah, your way.
1: That speeds things speeds things up too.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, I mean it's sad that it's true, but you know sometimes it works. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's say you're a guy. <clears throat> excuse me. You're a guy in your mid twenties. Your name is Chinu. All right. You're you're neither of these model guys. You're just a working class dude. Your girlfriend is a very wealthy lady, okay? And you've been dating for a couple months now, but you still have not had sex yet, okay? And you tell her, you wanna bring this relationship to the next level, make it physical. And she tells you that she wants the same, but that you need to get your HPV shots first. What do you do?
1: Go get the shots. (laughs) This one is a no brainer.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually a stupid question. Actually, yeah, <laughs> for most men, it, it, it you know, I don't know, they might maybe Richard might feel differently, you know what I'm saying?
1: Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, yeah. I understand there's like a whole movement of anti vexes but that was never about HPV shots,
0: right? That's true, yeah, yeah, why about,
1: like we don't like being locked in the house and told what to do and told what to wear, right? And, you know, I, I, I. Think the anxiety comes from a different place. I'm having Um, such a
0: eureka moment right now after you just said that.
1: There aren't two sides to STDs. Like nobody likes them.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. As soon as you said um the anti-vaxxers didn't like being told what to do, being locked inside the house and told what not to wear. And I'm like, that's been every woman. (laughs) Yeah. Since the beginning of time. And it's like the whole world had to become a woman and they were mad
1: it turns out it doesn't feel that nice to have less rights than you did before (laughs) (laughs) okay
0: great great i love this okay okay final question all right so you're Hidgin now all right after eight years you make your big break as an actor yes all over tv all over tv you're all in all the movies you are in all the magazine covers you're winning awards all the accolades meanwhile your ability to spend time with your girlfriend has diminished greatly okay you're not even able to go public about your relationship because of privacy issues you know you want to respect her boundaries your boundaries whatnot but there is a rumor going around the industry that the news is picking up that you used to date that gay fashion designer who used to proposition you. Okay. And one day, right after your award ceremony, this gay fashion designer commits suicide. And the last person he texted was you. What do you do?
1: Well, I know that I didn't have a relationship with him. Mm. So I'm not feeling particularly responsible for this. Mm. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to keep living my life.
0: Mm. Interesting. Very good. That's it, man.
1: Oh, that was fun.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It was nice talking to you.
1: Yeah, I'll have to check out this film. Yeah. See what really goes down. (laughs)